Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 41. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 19th episode of season 2, Liars, Guns, and Money, part 1, A Not-So-Simple Plan. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Liars, Guns, and Money, Part 1. After receiving a message from Stark's mask, Zan guides Moya to a ship where Stark is alive. While in his energy form, after being dispersed, Stark has come up with a plan to rob a well-protected shadow depository to get funds to buy Dargo's sons back. The already complex plan is further complicated by the arrival of Scorpius. Dun-dun-dun! We are in the home stretch of season two with the beginning of another three-parter and Farscape blessed us with a bank heist. I was so excited when I first saw these and I was so excited on the rewatch of getting to watch this again because it's so much fun. It's nail-bitingly glorious and it goes sideways almost before it starts as plans do for our Moya crew. And we've got a number of season two threads that are all coming together in this episode and this three-part arc. We've got the search for Dargo's son, and getting him back. We have John's manifestations of Scorpius in his head, Harvey, which are getting worse. And we find out what happened to Stark after he was dispersed in The Ugly Truth just a few episodes ago. Yeah, I noted in The Ugly Truth that I thought it was a little bit of a cheat that they were kind of like, oh, but maybe Stark will survive the dispersal. And nobody really believed him. But as an audience, you pretty much had to believe that he would come back <laughs> because it's such a it's such a Chekhov's gun to be like, well, maybe I could survive that. And then you're mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, so he's going to survive it. <laughs> Otherwise, yes. why would you introduce the possibility? So yeah. Stark reappears, and it's a much different Stark. And I kind of want to talk about that because there are some through lines in terms of he still has that kind of repetitive way of talking where he'll like repeat himself a few times and he still is really manic. But on the other hand, the Stark that was in the cell with John would not have been able to pull off a bank heist. And that's mm -hmm. what this Stark pretty much does. Yeah. It's like, this is the way I was kind of thinking about it, is thus far we've we've seen Stark only a couple times. We saw him in the cell with John, where he is that kind of crazy person, and John thinks he's a plant at first, and then he turns out he's got these mystical powers to calm John down. And then you have him in the locket, where he comes back aboard Moya, and he's making connections with Zan, and he's pretty calm and collected and together with Zan, figuring out what's going on and being part of the solution. And then you have him in The Ugly Truth, where he's manic again and really gunning for Krace. And I think that's the Stark that we see a continuation of, is someone who really hates the peacekeepers and wants to get back at them and wants to do good and do right by his people who are enslaved and do right by Dargo's son who is being sold as a slave, but still has this very deep anger at the peacekeepers. And I think that's really what comes out in this episode in Liars, Guns, and Money Part 1 is this the Stark who has this depth of feeling in him Hmm. And there's a lot going on under the surface that is finally at the surface that we can finally see in a way that we haven't before. Yeah, like it's visible. Like part of who he was before Scorpius is visible. Because as much as we're led to believe at first that Stark's entire crazy is because of the chair, there is a part of me that wonders what he was like before the chair. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I think we kind of see a clip of that here. We see a little bit of that here. Yeah. And, and I do think that he has been deeply affected by the chair and that is also part of who he has become, but all of that melds together and we get this much more three-dimensional complex character than we had before. And I think that really is what comes out in this episode. Mm -hmm. And like really smart. And we mentioned that he and Zan are very connected. And I think what's interesting is that he's the first long-term partner that we've gotten to see from Zan because so far she's kind of had two or three real love interests. The first one being from the first Maldus episode where she met the other, the other uh, priest, priest, you know, and that priest kind of pushed her to be able to kill people, to push her to kind of dig into her darker impulses. So that guy wasn't the same priest that Zan is, the same priest that almost let Moya get destroyed rather than punching out a bird. And... <laughs> And then we also had her ex-lover, the one that she killed, who apparently was using his position in an evil way. And then we have Stark here, who is not nearly as evil as her lover, but at the same time, he's also a lot more willing to morally compromise himself if he sees it for the greater good. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's an interesting thing for Zan because so far her like three lovers have all kind of been a little bit sketchy. Yeah. But, you know, Zan has that dark side to her. And I think because she has it, you know, it's not like she's rejecting them outright. And she's not certainly not rejecting Stark outright. Like she does care about him quite a bit. And she has the compassion for those multiple multitudes within people because they're in herself you mm -hmm. know what i mean at the beginning she says she doesn't want to be a part of the bank heist because she doesn't want to steal money from other people but at the same time she's fully a part of it once you know the moral wiggle room of oh only bad guys money is going to be in this shadow <laughs> depository so okay then she's going to follow through with it mm -hmm. you know and also it's for dargo too because the whole motivation going on here is Stark is really trying to save Jothi, Dargo's son. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I wanted to ask about, because I know Stark comes from a slave race. Mm -hmm. And I know that seeing anyone else in slavery would really bother him. But but why is it that he decides to help Dargo and find his son? Like, I've never quite understood that. I think it's kind of implied that there are other Bannock slaves. Okay, in this part of lot because it. it's a lot of ten thousand slaves, and okay. he's like, he's like Dargo's son and my people, and so I was kind of <laughs> like, oh, okay. is that the real reason? Because I also can't think of why else he would be looking into slave auctions, unless it was to try and find other people. But I yeah. actually assumed, kind of at, during a throwaway line here, and I couldn't remember if they mentioned it at all in two and three. But it kind of appeared to me like it was Jothi and a bunch of other Bannock slaves, mm -hmm. you know, mixed in right. with all these other slaves. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then that would make sense why he would harp on Jothi so much coming back to Moya, because Moya and her crew are the only free people he knows that have the capability of even trying to attempt to get the slaves free. Mm -hmm. And he's got an in. Mm -hmm. You know, like if he if he came to them and he was like, they're selling all my people. Oh, no. What am I going to do? The Moya crew would be like, I'm really sorry, but <laughs> not our problem. Yeah, not our problem. <laughs> but if he comes and he's like, oh, Jothi, 
then that he's got Dargo and Dargo breaks everyone else. Yeah, because the other thing is they're not talking in this episode. They're not talking about breaking Jothi out. Right. right? They're talking about buying him and the lot. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. makes me think that there's some there's somebody else in the lot that Stark is interested in. Yeah. No, I like that explanation. That makes a lot of sense to me. So the beginning of the episode, they find Stark alive and he has this this plan. And this is kind of how it goes down with the others. Chiana is very happy about going in and breaking into something because she likes breaking into things and stealing things. Zan's a little hesitant until it's explained that it's the Shadow Repository. And Dargo is completely fixated on his son. So let me play this. Where did you get this? I helped the deposit designer cross over to death. His last thoughts led me to these. They're genuine. Did you kill him? Not exactly. <laughs> did the designer have enough time to explain to you how much firepower is actually inside this depository? Not, not precisely. Oh, that's comforting. We're gonna have to go down and have a look for ourselves. Their arsenal would be massive. This is suicide, Dargo. Well, this is the only way we can save my son. We must consider it. Dargo, wait. No, no, no. I know this is important. I know you want to do this, but it is not possible. You won't even consider this? I just don't see how we... Well, fine. We'll go without you. We'll go without all four of you. Tanner, it's just you, me, and Stark. Well, sure, Bubba, but, you know, maybe, maybe we should what? just... You're against me, too. No, no, I'm with you. It's... When you asked me to do something, did I ever question if it was possible? Dargo? No. I... I did it. You cowards. All of you. Dargo is so fixated on finding his son. And everyone else is bringing up all the reasons not to do it. And Aaron's fixated on the armory. And John's fixated on suicide runs. And, you know, they have points. But at the same time, I'm kind of on Dargo's side in a little, in a few ways. Because, like, he's right, you know? He has come through for the others during suicide runs, like the Gamak base. He was there, mm -hmm. part of that. And I know all of them thought they were going to die, but at the same time, they all were in it together. So there's a very different feeling from season one's four or five part season finale and season two's four or five part season finale in that they are not a cohesive family the way that they were in season one. Here, there are cracks between them and Dargo is at odds with John. Mm -hmm. And I just find that really interesting because it's just like the stakes are really high and they are not coming together as a group. And that just makes the tension that much higher. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And like on the one hand, I hear you that Dargo's position is very sympathetic. All the things he's done for this crew and most of them without question. True. On the other hand, I feel like, okay, so for example, I think nerve is the best example of this. John goes to everybody. He's like, Aaron is dying. We know there's a gamut base. We break into the gamut base, get the nerve, get out. And then everybody does come up with protests. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, yeah. you're going to get caught. Oh, Moya's pregnant. What are we doing? And it was it's kind of John's calmness that is, I think, what turns everybody towards him. Because it's him not losing his temper and being like, I've done all this stuff for you and you guys won't even break into a gamut base for me. Instead, he kind of just really calmly says, so we're going to let Aaron die. Mm -hmm. And I think that the contrast here is that Dargo never presents that kind of like 
calmness in this plan. Like they have Stark, who is crazy, show up (laughs) and he's like, we're going to rob a bank that's super well protected and has the money of the worst people in the entire universe in it. Mm -hmm. And Darg was like, okay, let's go. And everybody else is like, whoa, wait, here are some problems with that. And Dargo doesn't calm down and be like, okay, so are we going to let my son be sold into slavery? Yeah. And instead he's like, well, fine, you're against me then. That's kind of where I lose empathy for him Mm -hmm. is they aren't against him. These are his best friends. These are people who have risked their lives for him on multiple occasions. I don't know. I hear that too. And I like the contrast that you draw between John's position in season one and season two. So yeah, and I agree that he doesn't go about it the same way. I feel like I need to play Dargo's advocate here, mm. you know, because everyone else is so like adamantly against even Shiana, who's like, no, I'm with you, but I'm kind of not with you because let's consider all these things. And they should consider all these things at the same time. I feel for Dargo, I guess. I don't know. I think I, I guess I feel for him, but more in the context of the past few episodes, I'm still having a really hard time getting over his behavior in The Ugly Truth mm-hmm. and kind of his subsequent behavior where he has just become this like incredibly hot-headed person. Yeah. You know, he has just become this person who is right on the edge. And you understand why. His son is about to be sold into slavery. And he obviously will do anything to get them out of that. But at the same time, I think that his kind of like me versus you my mm-hmm. you're not on my side and i'm like yeah, th- nobody here is saying let's not rescue jothy they're all just saying here are some problems with breaking into a bank <laughs> of this caliber run by criminals yeah no i get that i get that and what i do like is that he's so upset and what happens next is that he takes up a, uh, a transport pod and goes down to the planet on his own to try and break in with Stark's plan in the back of his mind. And I love that what happens next is John and Aaron go after him. Like they still care about him so much, even if they're frustrated with him at this moment, that they're going to go after him and try and get him out of any trouble that he gets himself into. So they walk into the shadow depository. And can I just say, I love the design of this place. This is like the season finale, so they went all out with all like the budget and stuff. But it's like out the exterior when they're flying in on the prowler is just like gray and orangey gray and grim and and it's like sharp angles everywhere. And the the bank itself is like this hexagon fractal with like extra little triangles on the edges of it. It's just a really cool set design. And then they walk in and it's like there's a central desk and there's security everywhere. I gotta say, one of my favorite things about this episode is. John and Aaron, both in Peacekeeper Regalia, just waltzing in and being like they own the place and being just looking so badass and like the superheroes that they are, you know? (laughs) It takes us back to Beware of Dog because we'd mentioned that in Beware of Dog that John and Aaron tend to be at their best with each other in terms of communication, in terms of being in sync, when their lives are on the line, when they're in battle mode, you know, when they're playing soldier together. It just works really well. And it hits like all my buttons for them. Ugh, right. (laughs) Just them being all like so cold and uh, it's really good. It's a good scene. It's a good intro because they kind of walk in and (laughs) they're like looking around and then they see Dargo and they're both, I don't know, they're just so cool. And they play Mm -hmm. it cool. They play it really tight to the chest, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So Dargo ends up attempting to break through one of the security modes and gets caught. And we find out who is in charge of the bank. And her name is Natira. And she is like crustacean-y. I mean, she's walking, talking humanoid, but she's like blue with crustacean-y kind of exoskeleton. She's not wearing clothing, or at least you can't really tell if it's clothing or not. She's kind of cool. I like her. I mean, yeah. I like her costume design, too. The costume design was really good. It reminded me almost of like, she's like a Borg, but blue. I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> yeah. A Borg crossed with Mystique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's it. Exactly. A Borg crossed with Mystique. With a shell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So she takes Dargo prisoner and she's like, well, he expects to be interrogated. Let's not disappoint him. <laughs> and meanwhile, Aaron and John are like incensed. And when they get back to Moya, they immediately confront Stark about it. And that's when we learn a little bit more about Stark's plan. And this is where everything kind of starts to go off the rails. You, you set him up. Largo is down there because of you! Look, you left him no choice. He had to, had to. It's the only way to save Joffy. It's the plan! What plan? What are you talking about? The plan, the plan to, to get Dago back and to rob the depository. And to put the whole place on security alert! Oh, it is. It's all part of the plan, you see. Because Dago's breached the system, they'll scramble their codes. And while they're resetting their security codes, I can link in and they'll never even know. But uh, I have to work quickly. Say, I'll leave me alone! I've only got six hands before they reset their codes. I'm gonna reset his codes. How the hell are we supposed to get Dargo back? Don't worry about a thing. I've got it all figured out. It's all part of the plan. You better have it all figured out. Dargo bet his life on that. No. He bet his son's life on that. He manipulated us. This plan will work. Okay, Stark, you say the plan will work. And I just gotta say, oh my god, Stark, you have some major communication issues going on right now. That you didn't tell them what the plan was before Dargo took off with the plan. And... Yeah, I've just no, but that's kind of that's my thing is that's I think why I have less empathy for Dargo in this episode is because mm-hmm. clearly Dargo did hear the plan, you yeah. know, like clearly he and Stark communicated the plan, and then this was Dargo's way of forcing everybody else to do the plan, kind of against yeah. their will, you know. No, he it's true. It's he true. didn't come to them and be like, "Hey, this is the plan," and then everybody could have been like, "Oh, okay, well, what about this?" Or like, "Let's ask some questions." Instead, he's just kind of like, "Well, now either." Y'all come rescue me or you leave me here to die. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. It is kind of a dick move. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> like don't apologize. It's true. I just, you know, my defense of Dargo is mostly just because I love him so much, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that if this had occurred like a few episodes ago, I think I would have been so much more sympathetic. I would have definitely mm-hmm. been more like team Dargo all the way. But I'm yeah. still like... Even if you don't like Stark, Stark still brought you the news of your son's death. There is no reason to sell him out so that he will be killed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. That's just me hanging on to some bitterness right there. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. But yeah, no, no, Dargo definitely knows what he's doing when he's forcing them to come after him. And the other thing I like about that scene is, again, I said, 
when John and Aaron go after Dargo to save him and that that care for Dargo is still mm-hmm. there in John's rage at Stark. And Aaron also, she's like, you sold Dargo out and he's, Dargo's selling his soul for it. And I just love that even though they're mad at Dargo, that that's still there, that's still present. And we'll see it again later, too, when Dargo comes back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Stark, Stark and his plan, I don't know. It's just, this is what, this is one of those moments when you like see the layers of Stark, when he's like, I've got this plan, this plan's going to work. It's this great plan. It's the plan, 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 plan. But he never actually talks. He he says, okay, I got to break into the next, the next thing. The trust that they had now have to give it to Stark and his plan just seems so fragile because they don't know him that well. I mean, they kind of know him, but they don't know him that well. He's just popped up here and there. And yeah, he's been kind of helpful, but he's also kind of been until this point, kind of like the kind of crazy guy in the corner that's mumbling and saying weird things and being happy with Zan. And this time they actually have to trust him with this really complicated thing. Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's, I think that so much of this episode is about how close John is to losing his sanity. And so I think that them trusting Stark feels a little bit like trusting John right now, Mm -hmm. where you can't really lean on it. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't really, this is not a character that you can really lean on right now. And so they're kind of being forced to trust Stark. And I think that puts them all in this really uncomfortable position. Yeah, and John included in that because he's got a really hot button for being manipulated and lied to. And there's another clip I want to play that that refers to that. You're in. You're in. Are you sure this is going to work? Yes, it won't work. I spent too much time thinking it through. I spent too much time thinking through the Farscape project. Your side, my side. My side, your side. Now, go away. You know, go back to your quarters, get something to eat, take a nap, do nothing. That's what Dago said you do best. Ground rule. You don't lie to me. Did Dago say that? don't lie to me and he partially pulls Winona on Stark when he's saying are you lying to me so this is very real threat that John is presenting to Stark here about being straight with them and so those two scenes together really highlighted for me how fragile John is too because he's reacting really violently even if he's not completely following through on it, but he's reacting very violently to to Stark's manipulation of them, Darga's manipulation of them, and the lies that Stark has, and it brings into question his trust. And I think part of it, as we'll see later on, is he he's starting not to be able to trust himself. Mm-hmm. And so he has to have everyone else outside of him be super straight with him because he's starting to have this conflict internally that he's struggling to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good way of putting it. I actually had the question of, did Dargo not say it? 
because it's clear that Dargo and Stark had at some point sat down and had a conversation. And when John is saying, be straight with me, don't lie to me, he he has the gun right up against Stark's neck, you know, and, and you can tell Stark was kind of like, oh, okay, this was an unintended consequence. Right. And, and Stark is, you know, I mean, who's going <laughs> to, who's going to say something that's going to irritate the guy that has a gun to your neck? <laughs> Exactly. You know, exactly. so it did make me wonder. I'm like, well, did Dargo not say it? It doesn't, because Dargo in the Brainwipe episode in uh, Clockwork Nabari, Dargo had had this whole thing where he was like crying and it was played for comedy, but essentially he was apologizing to John for all the things he'd said to him or said about him. And so it or did thought kind of, or <laughs> thought. So it did kind of make me wonder if Dargo in his anger, because he leaves the he leaves Moya really, really mad at the crew, if he didn't say something like, Well, John doesn't do anything, he just thinks about things, you know. Yeah, I could totally see that happening. And of course Stark's gonna lie about lying about it. Yeah, so I don't know. That was just a thought I'd had. Yeah. No, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. Because I could see it being going either way. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, Dargo in his anger, totally capable of that. So they now have to play to Dargo's fiddle, which means that Zan dresses up as a pirate. <laughs> Rigel gets <laughs> stuck. In- it's so good. Oh, Zan as a pirate is like the best part of this episode. It really makes me want like an alternate universe. Yes. Where, where Zan was like the pirate queen and everybody was on her crew. And then John got sucked up into her like pirate queen ship. <laughs> I would totally read that or watch it. Yeah. She plays a pirate queen. Rigel is a statue. Chiana is her second. Her who was the ski mm-hmm. or scree or something from Peter Pan? Smee, Smee, Smee. Yeah. the The plan now is Zan's going to make a deposit. Rigel is part of the deposit because he's encased in a statue and he has some biological nullification going on so he won't be appear on a bioscan. Aaron and John are her guards and so they're going to watch from the security room the whole process and Rigel is going to climb out of their safety deposit box for lack of a better term and put himself into a safety deposit box with money with a sensor that switches the ID the ID of the box so that when Zan withdraws it she will get the one with money in it. That's the basic Mm -hmm. plan of the episode that, of course, is going to go pear-shaped. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, I just want to share with you Zan as the Pirate Queen because it's amazing and Chiana as her Shmi. This is it? (laughs) Lame. We can do better. Better is whatever I say it is. I knew that. May I help you? No, bring me whoever's in charge here. I assure you, madam, I'm more than capable... Don't elevate yourself. I know a functionary when one crawls in front of my face. Now fetch me your master like a good little minion. I'm Natira. Are you here to make a transaction? I am Orala. You act as if that name should mean something to me. I understand you've been having security problems. You've been misinformed. Really? I had one of my operatives test your systems himself. He got halfway into your vault before you even noticed him. The Luxon. He barely made it through the first door. He belongs to you. He's still alive. Last I checked. They couldn't even kill a Luxon. Unbelievable. I will take him back now. You'll take whatever I give you. How did he get our code? It is not my job. 
to plug your security leak. Then why have you come here? Time-sensitive goods. Short-term deposit. I need storage for one soul a day. What? Oh, I just adore Zan Largen in charge. It's not my job to plug your security leak. <laughs> I know a functionary when one crawls in front of me. <laughs> she's so great. And I love Chiana's little echoes of what she's saying. And you, they couldn't even kill a Luxon. That's probably my favorite line of the batch. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and also, I love this, like, weird implication that, like, Chiana would be the crew member that would talk back to, like, her to, like her <laughs> boss. You know, we can do better. Better is whatever I say it is. Oh, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I would totally watch that show. Totally. So good. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. It's interesting how easily Zan fits into mm-hmm. this role. I think when it, I think impartially when it is for saving Dargo, like this is clearly not something that she, that she would have done normally, but I think that because it's saving Zar- Dargo with the side benefit of also being able to save Jothi, that's why she's doing it. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. How she slips into that role is really fun in that scene. And there's a later scene where you can kind of see the cracks to it, where you can see that it's really Arzan underneath, like when the the safety deposit box is this huge crate it's on anti-grav whatever magic and it comes shooting towards her and she stumbles back and you can see her nervousness and she flinches and so the the persona is broken and you can see Arzan coming through and I, I like that touch because it really reminds you that that she is still there underneath and that she is playing a role and she isn't really this person all the time yeah it's interesting that they chose Zan to play the pirate queen versus, say, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of that was because Aaron and John were already walked in when they saw John, uh, when they saw Dargo get caught, and mm-hmm. so they were kind of already pegged and they were already on the, on the security cameras as having been in there before. And I think just thematically, it would make sense for them to be guards scoping it out rather than being in charge. Mm-hmm. And I think that the other nice thing is that in that scene, you get to see Natira and Zan kind of facing off. And it is supposed to be like two really strong women mm-hmm. facing off with each other. And it's and it works, you know, I think as, oh, a, yeah. as a scene, it really works because you get to I've said in the past, for example, in the Look at the Princess episodes, that when you have a strong character respecting a character, then it's kind of like an a equals B equals C. Like we're like, well, if we respect this character, then we must therefore respect this character because this other character respects them. And that's kind of what's going on here is we're supposed to see Natira as somebody who's clearly running this like complex operation. So her respecting Zan the pirate, you know? Yeah. It elevates her. Yeah. So Aaron and John are watching this from the security cameras and they've been a couple times now, John has had like whispering flashes of Scorpius and Harvey in his head coming at him. And Aaron started to notice. And you can tell from the earlier conversation in um, Beware of Dog when, you know, John confessed that he's been seeing seeing hallucinations of Scorpius and no, he's not losing his own mind. But here, <laughs> Aaron is sensitive to it. And she steps in when she needs to to cover for him 
on the comms and she's like acknowledging that this is a problem that he's having but it's it's never looked down upon you know it's like mm-hmm. very much hey you're my partner in this i'm going to back you up and take care of you when you can't take care of yourself kind of back and forth between them and so john in the security is having one of those moments of scorpius in his head and he's like yeah i know it's scorpius in my head when aaron says is that Scorpius? But she's looking at the monitors because Scorpius has just walked in to the shadow depository, mm-hmm. shadowed by his PK tech medical person, who we don't get a name for, and Lieutenant Braca. Yeah. And so now, now is when the episode <laughs> really becomes nail biting because you have Scorpius demanding to see Natira and walking in towards the towards Zan. And of course, he's going to recognize Zan, and you have Zan leaving the deposit. And it's just like these hairs, breaths walking by and you have poor John and Aaron who are helpless to stop any of it, who are just watching it. And then they have to get out of there, too. It's good. Zan gets by with a hair's breadth because Natira doesn't want Scorpius to see any of her other clients. And then we find out that Natira and Scorpius have been intimate, shall we say? (laughs) They have a long history. Yeah, they have a long history. Since Natira appears to be both Dommy and Subby at the same time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting play. But well, she- yeah. I I like it, though, because she's clearly the dominant in her own repository, depository. Like, she is in charge. Everyone mm-hmm. else is subordinate to her, and she, everyone else knows it, and that is the very clear power structure. And then you have Scorpius walk in, who has clearly got something on her, and... She has sold off his what was in his safety deposit box at one point because she didn't think he was coming back after the gamut base exploded. She thought he was dead. He, she owes him. And we find out a little bit later that she owes him for more than just the the money that she took and, and, and the goods that she traded away that were his, but from like way back mm-hmm. as well. And then there's the sexual overtones, which are just kind of a little... I wouldn't say weird, but they're kind of weird. (laughs) I get kind of, I get a little bit uncomfortable whenever you have like a super, super strong female character that then is like constantly sexualized in certain Mm -hmm. ways. And I'm not saying that strong women can't be sexy, but I think this is also kind of the problem I have with a character like Emma Frost, who I like Emma Frost, the concept. I did not like her in first class. Because Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like this like constant sexualization where it's like my power is also tied to me having sex with clients. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. It it got kind of weird for me where I'm like, I like Natira. I'm not necessarily sure I enjoy the idea of her and Scorpius doing the nasty together. Yeah. Yeah. And on Natira's behalf, I think Scorpius is really the only one only a client that that's she really has that relationship with and that's because of their long history for me it's as much squicky that scorpius is a sexual creature as anything else because <laughs> he is so not that for me at all because he's so calm and collected and i know that's you know doesn't necessarily mean anything for for people who are calm and collected of course they have sex lives but scorpius is just such a character that that does not speak to to him he's not conventionally handsome in any way he's wearing this full leather suit he's this cold calculating creature that's fixated on john Crichton, and it's like he doesn't have a life outside of that and then i don't know it's just really weird seeing him <laughs> in any kind of sexual situation 
Well, and I think that there is something to be said. I kind of mentioned earlier that it's Nadira is like kind of dummy in her, for example, when she's torturing Dargo, it's clearly like her as like the sadomasochistic dom that's coming in and just torturing this guy to torture him because it's like a power thing. But then with Scorpius, it's like she's really submissive and you can tell they're both really kinky and it's kind of like nothing wrong with kink. Like apparently it's very consensual on both of their parts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, it's interesting because the one scene we do have of them like even getting close to physical, it almost appears that like he's withholding and she's doing like, I, I don't know how to explain it. But she's like licking his like eye socket head <laughs> piece so thing. Weird. It's so weird. And he's like not reacting at all. Yeah. Maybe like, that's it. Maybe it's the non-reactiveness that really makes that, that difference. Cause as you say, like, Everyone's kink is their kink, right? And I don't want to kink shame anybody. But at the same time, he's so non-responsive to it. But you kind of get the feeling, like this is the feeling I got from that scene, that like she's so used to kind of being able to use her sexual, like her sexuality to kind of get people to like come to heal. That I think what attracts her to Scorpius is that he's like not having any of it. That like <laughs> that gives him this power over her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm kind of actually done talking about Scorpius's sexuality, I'll be honest. We'll come back to it in season four, right? <laughs> yeah. So getting back to our Moya friends who are having a lot less sex. <laughs> we return to the ship where now John, as I said earlier, he's having this problem with Stark lying to him. Now he finds out that Stark probably knew that Scorpius might be there. And of course, John's flipping out about Scorpius. So I'm going to play this next scene between them because it also gets at the motivations of the two of them, which I want to talk about. Hey, Stark, tell me this. What's black and white, black and white, black and white, Scorpius, and in the bank. Here? You knew! You knew that he had a safe deposit box in that bank. Oh, what? We've talked about lying. Yes, if I told you. Hell, we would have stayed the hell away from the bank. What the hell were you thinking? I didn't know he'd be here. No, 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 no. You just want to boost, boost, boost his stuff. You just wanted revenge. That is not true. My people and Dargo's son are the reason I'm here. Now, if it's Scorpius's wealth that frees him, well, that's an added bonus. You want revenge. No, I don't. I want to kill him. Justice. So first, this is the throwaway quote that you were talking about earlier, right? Where mm-hmm. he said, Darlow's son and my people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I missed that before. But this is the question that I kind of had. Like, where's the line between vengeance and justice? And what is really motivating Stark? And what is really motivating John? Because they each have their own perception of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's that much different from the other's perception of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, Stark says he's here for to rescue his people. And if he can screw over Scorpius, that's great. And John accuses him of vengeance. And it kind of does feel vengeful that he's going to try and screw over Scorpius in the process of getting his people out. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you have John who's being accused of vengeance against Scorpius, who says, no, it's going to be justice. So I was just wondering what your thoughts were on their motivations here. 
I actually was a little bit confused about this conversation altogether, mostly because John, while he professes to want to kill Scorpius, also is the first one to say, if we'd known Scorpius was going to be here, we would not have shown up. You know, we wouldn't be here if we thought Scorpius was going to be here. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that they have that much difference of opinion. I, what is the difference between vengeance and justice? I think that depends on the wrong that was done. And I think that also depends on the consequence. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. do I think robbing Scorpius is vengeful? Meh. Do I think it's justice? Meh. You know what I mean? It's more like poetic justice. Yeah. I mean, it's more like poetic justice. Do I think strapping Scorpius down and, let's say, torturing him until he's dead is justice? Nah. That's vengeance. But I think that when you get at this petty stuff like this, I don't think that it can, I don't think it really goes either way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that Stark is kind of like, ooh, this is going to be great poetic justice. I'm going to steal from Scorpius. I'm like, okay, sure. That sounds like a great plan. Cause it's not like he hates you guys enough already, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that John's whole thing is I'm like, okay, sure. He wants to kill Scorpius, but he's not actually doing anything to further that goal. Right. You know? So I don't think that that's like really a pursuit of justice either. That's more of a self-defense mechanism. Yeah. And his first instinct has been, especially we saw it in Look at the Princess trilogy as well, to run away Mm -hmm. or find an out to get away from Scorpius. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I don't quite see, I don't know if I feel like it's vengeance for either one of them in quite the way that vengeance is usually talked about, if that makes sense. That's why I want to know. Yeah. Like, vengeance would be doing something that really makes somebody hurt. Like, okay, on leverage, right? Mm -hmm. That's justice. When somebody uses their money and power to destroy somebody else, and then the leverage crew comes in and destroys that person's money and power. Right. You know, they leave them poor and powerless. And I'm like, okay, so that's justice. But I'm kind of like stealing from Scorpius. I'm like, it's not like if they steal. Clearly, Scorpius had survived a really long time without this money. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's going to leave him powerless. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which actually brings me to my question. What do you think Scorpius had stored in there? I can't just believe it was just <laughs> money. You know? I think it was objects of some sort because it's like replacing the value of it, right? And you, mm-hmm. the way I read it, when Atira says she took control of it, she can't give it back. If it were just money, she'd just give him the money. It's not like she doesn't have funds. But mm-hmm. I think it was objects that were sold for value of some sort. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it is. I don't know. Because like when he first comes in, he was like, I need it. I need it now. And I'm like, what is it? Yeah. And we never find out. So I don't know. That's a good question. I think it's kind of one of those MacGuffin things that they they needed him to be there. So, mm-hmm. hey, he has a safety deposit box. Let's have him show up. Because <laughs> it really is a brilliant writer move to up the stakes even further than they were before. And now it's not just Jothi's on the line and Dargo's son on the line. It is John Crichton himself on the line and the rest of the crew whom Scorpius has been pursuing this whole season. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really great payoff of that storyline coming in. And mm-hmm. now you have John himself again confronted with the possibility of killing Scorpius and not able to follow through on it. So what happens is John and Aaron on the screen see the cooling rod that is inserted into Scorpius's head to keep as part of his cooling mechanism to to deconflict his scarin and his sebation sides. You see it inserted. And so this is the first time the crew 
knows about it and figures out, oh, hey, he's got a weakness here. And so John asks sand to come up with something that'll explode when exposed to heat. And so John and Aaron, at one point, sneak I think this is when they go back down when Zan is removing the safety deposit box that will have be Scorpius's that has Rigel in it. When the switch is made, Aaron and John go off on a little side mission to coat the rods that were left in Natira's quarters with this paste and then leave them. And then it's like this sitting bomb for when it goes back into Scorpius's head the next time. And then he should die because it explodes. Mm-hmm. That's the first part of it. And John, when he's doing trying to do the coating, he he can't do it. Aaron has to take it over because of the Scorpius in his head, Harvey, who is basically forcing him not to do it and mm-hmm. to being this protector of Scorpius, the real Scorpius. And it's this escalation of John losing control and having to really start to face up to the fact that something really seriously is going wrong in his head. Mm-hmm. He's like shuddering and he keeps talking to himself. And Aaron is actually keeps being like, shh, be quiet be quiet Mm -hmm. and he can't he like physically cannot be quiet he just keeps like muttering to himself and it's it's interesting because of i mean maybe we'll wait to talk about it but just because of the physicality that scorpius shows later Mm -hmm. so before they go down though they're all up on the ship because they have to wait a day to before rigel wakes up gets in the other cargo ship, and then they can go down and pick it up again. So they've retrieved Dargo, and Chiana's taking care of him. And then John and Dargo kind of face off. And we have to remember that these are two guys who are, you know, their bro ship is strong. Mm-hmm. How you doing? How do I look? You look like crap. Well, there's your answer. Let's clear. Not much damage. He's still in a lot of pain, though. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going ahead with the plan. Because now it's begun, you have no other choice. Yeah, who exactly got us into this great plan, anyway? Well, someone had to act. You mean someone had to take matters into their own hands? Well, and you never do. Quentin, just, just leave him alone, okay? No, it's fine. He wants to get into it. We can get into it. Oh, yeah, sure. Now's just a great time. Hey, how about I just go grab some rags in case he starts bleeding again? I didn't come here to fight. Came to see how you are. Well, we've already covered that. Is there anything else? And John just walks out at that point. Yeah. But yeah. What I like about this scene, though, is like, yeah, they are furious with each other, and Dargo is still clearly really mad at John for not backing him up, and John is mad that he went off and was stupid on his own and got them into this mess. But there's still that undercurrent, at least from John's end, of very just worried about him. You know, mm-hmm. he they are still friends. He doesn't want to fight. They're, he wants to make sure that Dargo is okay. And I really like that, that even though they're fighting right now, they have a solid enough foundation of their friendship that it can withstand this fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Except I don't think Dargo sees that way. I think John, I think John sees it as my friend did something really stupid. I'm backing him up right now because I have to, but eventually it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think Dargo sees it as you all betrayed me by not backing me up. I'm really (laughs) mad and I'm never going to forgive any of you forever. Yeah, I could definitely see that being Dargo's point of view. So... Anyway, he will get over it. (laughs) Yeah, right? He has to. (laughs) 
<laughs> Otherwise, it'd be a very short series. <laughs> but not nearly as interesting. So they all go down. And then <laughs> Nadira and Scorpius go to open Scorpius's container. And this is after Zan has retrieved her property. And by her property, we mean not her property. <laughs> <laughs> by her property, we mean the property Nadira was going to give to Scorpius. Yes. Because remember, Nadira sold what Scorpius actually had. So now she's giving him something. She's giving him brilliant ingots is what she calls it. Mm -hmm. And so they go to open it and they realize it's not there. So then they immediately put the bank on lockdown. And more than that is that Natira, Natira recognizes the statue, the broken open statue of the Hynerian, which was, of course, what... Rigel was hiding in it's like oh it was a Delvian who deposited it mm -hmm. and she was accompanied by a Nabari and Scorpius immediately goes who else was with them and they realize all realize that John Crichton is amongst that and so then all hell breaks loose and we have a really awesome action sequence that takes place in you have John and Aaron in one location you have Chiana Zan and Rigel in another location with the goods the beryllium ingots you have Stark and Dargo up on the ship and Stark is doing the hacker thing and freaking out and Dargo's trying to keep him on track by threatening to kill him if he doesn't save everybody <laughs> Dargo oh my gosh and anyway so it, there's this huge back and forth as they're all trying to get out and one of my favorite little bits is when John and Aaron start going through with the unlocky door thing and there being a distraction so that Stark can open doors for Xan and Chiana and Rigel and get them out, they run into two guards and they punch them out and they both say, I, and John says, I've got an idea. And they're going to like take the clothes off the guards and wear them and escape. <laughs> and I love that when you cut back to them, all they've managed to do is get the clothes off the guards and, they're, and Aaron's like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> There's no time. And I love that because it's like acknowledgement of this... This trope that happens so often in action things where they swap clothing with the bad guy and then sneak out as the bad guy or mm -hmm. whatever. And I love that they actually acknowledge that, no, this is actually be kind of complicated to do in a very short time frame that you have. Yeah. And it's <laughs> I don't even think they've gotten the guys fully undressed. They've just gotten like their coats off. Because yeah. if you've ever tried to take clothing off of an unconscious person or even just like a mostly drunk person, like, you know, your friend comes home <laughs> and they're really drunk and you're like, oh, my gosh, I you smell like vomit. I need to get you out of your clothes. It is so hard. Yeah. Uncooperative it's people. It's really hard. Heavy. Yeah. So I just love that little scene right there. And then... Aaron pulls a Han Solo. Aaron pulls a Han Solo and it's the best thing ever and we have to listen to it right now. Yes. Aaron. What? If Scorpius gets me. I know. Shoot you. No. No, no, no. Shoot him. Look, we have to talk. Not here. You'll get us both killed. Aaron. I have to tell you how I feel. I have to tell you. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I do. No, you don't. So that bit you heard at the beginning is they're running through the corridors and Harvey and John's head is talking and John's flailing his arms trying to beat away the sound that has no physical presence in the real world. And and then he's like, ah, I'm, I, something's wrong going here, but I got to tell Aaron how I feel. And it's just like, ah, because she <laughs> knows how he feels. She knows. She totally pulls a Han Solo. My little shipper heart just beats so hard at these moments. <laughs> uh, it's so good. 
Well, and also, okay, because this whole season has kind of been a will they, won't they, Aaron trying to figure out her feelings for John. But I think that Aaron knows how John feels about her. That was never a question for her. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, it's just them figuring out how to carry out the relationship that they both want and they're both feeling their ways toward, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that's in the midst of this action scene. And there's one other scene that I really liked in their escape. And it's between Zan and Shiana. And Zan and Shiana have been confronted by a whole host of guards. And Zan has with her, smart person, she has with her this gas that she used to nullify the, the biological effects so that Rigel could get underneath the scan and wouldn't be detected. And so she pulls it out and she and she and Chiana look at each other and they've both taken their anti-gas pills and Rigel, poor Rigel is like, where's my pill? <laughs> he set this gas off and it's just like the smoke bomb and all the guards fall unconscious. And I just love that little bit that Zan and Chiana got to have this thing together. I know. Well, because they are two characters that pretty rarely interact. And so... It's nice to see them being friends and being on the same page and kind of being action heroes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And really this whole episode, I've really loved Zan and Chiana and the way they're interacting. Yeah. I think, I think Chiana, this whole episode also, I mean, coming off the heels of Clockwork Nabari, I like her in this episode a lot because of her kind of maturity, Mm -hmm. you know, like I do think in that first interaction with Dargo, when he's like, you're against me too. And she's trying to tell him like, no, I'm not against you. I'm your girlfriend, dude. Like, I'm on your side. <laughs> you we just need, need to slow to think down. This. Yeah. yeah. And then when she's with Zan, she just keeps a cool head playing the part of Shmi. And mm-hmm. here she's, you know, Rigel's flipping out being like, 10% <laughs> is too little. 100%. 50% is too little because 100% of dead is dead. <laughs> well, you know how last episode in Clockwork Nabari you were saying how Chiana would be a really good resistance member. Here, here's the proof. You know, she is playing a role. She's doing it well. The everything's going to heck in a handbasket with the the plan going off the rails, and she's keeping her cool with Zan, and and they're doing their thing. You know, mm-hmm. they're getting the job done. <laughs> so, I'm not going to say immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, they are all aliens, right? <laughs> but I have a green card. <laughs> oh, I love when we get before we begin. So they all make it back to the main main entrance, and Aaron is going ahead with Zan and Shiana at John's urging and Rigel to get on the pod to get back to the ship, and they're going to wait for him on the pod. And John is closing all the doors so that they can block their escape. And Aaron doesn't think this is a great idea, but she does it because they have no time. And this is where the confrontation with Scorpius comes. So first, Bracca and one of the bank people show up and they and Bracca shoves the bank guard in, in, in between the door that's closing and basically crushes him to death. But it keeps the door open. And then John knocks Bracca out and then Scorpius comes. And this is like the confrontation we've been waiting for all season, even since look at the princess because John was at a disadvantage in look at the princess, right? And here he knows that Scorpius is is coming and he kind of wants this confrontation even though he's trying to block Scorpius from getting to them and we finally get them to to verbalize what's going on with each other and it's mm-hmm. it's great 
You have no idea how patient I have been for this moment. Since I got you here, tell me, what the hell did you put in my head? Some awareness. The neurobiotracer. Call it what you like. <sighs> A tiny chip. A tiny seed that's been growing in your brain. Touching every aspect of your personality. Your memory. Didn't help me see Louis Johnson, did you? And whispering advice. I trust. It's helped save you once or twice since escaping my gamic place. <laughs> oh, what's the matter, Scorpy? You don't look too good. Neither do you, Crichton. Oh, I just love it. Scorpius has John by the throat. That's why he's talking funny. And you see the display of Scorpius's strength and he's in a position of power and he's explaining about the neurochip and the reversal when John says, I've got a piece of you and me and now you've got a piece of me and you with the the pace that he put on the cooling rod that was inserted into Scorpius's head. Mm-hmm. So I just love that confrontation because that this is now what has been hidden between them is now no longer hidden. Harvey in John's mind is no longer a secret. It is mm-hmm. out there. It's kind of the showdown we've needed since Won't Get Fooled Again. Mm-hmm. Because in Won't Get Fooled Again, they were like, oh, and then John can't remember or talk about it. So... Yeah. It's not really there. And it's and for us as viewers, we're like, no, but he needs to know. And yeah. so this is that scene. This is the scene where, you know, we get to see it. And what I was talking about earlier was this scene gets so physical because mm-hmm. John, this whole episode, has been reacting to Scorpius's voice in his head with physical you know he tries to bat it away when he's trying to coat the rod with the exploding stuff it's like you know he's like physically shaking and it's like when you're holding two opposing magnets and you can't force them together that's what's going on with his hands and here and here he kind of makes a stand and Scorpius is losing it just as much as he is like the his brain is literally like melting or something is melting down his face and Mm -hmm. you know but at the same time John is also his eyes are getting really red and his face is all contorted from the effort it takes not to save Scorpius's life right so Scorpius shouts you know get it out so his medic comes and gets the the tainted rod out of his head and then it explodes on her and so she dies so john probably shouldn't have told scorpius about it for another minute or two mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then john is the only one who could put a life-saving rod into scorpius's head and that's what scorpius forces him to do and it's, it's what you were saying with the shaking and the is the magnet thing because john is resisting but the the Harvey in his head is telling him to do it and Scorpius is telling him to do it and it's just this visceral physical confrontation and it's John warring with himself and he wins like he is able to break away and he he crawls he's crawling away singing the Star Spangled Banner to try and distract himself from the Harvey in his head Mm -hmm. and it's really hard it's really hard to watch because you're just like John no John no but he is physically and mentally incapable of completely resisting 
the Harvey in his head. He does it here, but it's, you know, it's going to be bad, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, there's this intimacy also because they are so physically close to each other and it kind of really mirrors their relationship. There's this intimacy with Harvey in his head. And now there's a physical intimacy to go along with what's already between them. You know? Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. It's just really good. And this is really, really good confrontation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. So they all get back up on the ship and Rigel is rejoicing at the money that they have. <laughs> and Zan's um, like, we're not going to spend it until we have Jothi and the Bannock slaves freed. Mm-hmm. And then Chiana kind of calls Dargo on something and we're going to play it. I must apologize for my panic. My shame is great. You did brilliantly. We wouldn't have had a chance without you. For which I am eternally grateful. Cardago, you've proven yourself to be a worthy friend. And one not to be distrusted again. Nice sentiment. After all these desolate cycles, I'm about to see my son. That tortured being there is the one who's made it possible. And what about your other tortured friend? Friends support one another unconditionally. They also forgive one another. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. And like we were saying, Dargo had <laughs> never wants to forgive John again, even though you know they're fighting. But John doesn't hate Dargo for it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's still a one-way street going on right there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in so often so far in their relationship, Dargo has been the one to call Chiana on things, like in the locket. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, you're better than stealing from Aaron's, you know, from Aaron's module or from Aaron's pod. And so here it's nice to see Chiana calling Dargo on something. Mm-hmm. Chiana kind of being able to... It's not like, you know, it's not like she should have the moral high ground. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like she's holding it that way of like, oh, I'm superior to you because I have the moral high ground. It's more that here she gets to kind of point out that, you know, forgiveness is a part of friendship. Yeah. Well, she's also, I think, able to see better John's point of view Mm -hmm. and better to empathize with it, whereas Dargo has had a block on his empathy with, with John and the opposing point of view of what's been going on because you know she would recognize that yeah this is a pretty big ass to go rob a bank like this we should think Mm -hmm. through the through the plan and you know she's not insensitive to relationships chiana actually has a really good head for most relationships Mm -hmm. you know so i think i really like that it comes from her as someone that dargo could could listen to and I also think it's an interesting reversal of Dargo's feelings on Stark because he's so against him and the ugly truth. And mm-hmm. even in this episode, even though he's like, yeah, you, me and Stark, we're it. We're the team. He still threatens Stark's life when Stark starts to panic, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like he was completely team Stark either. And so mm-hmm. and now this is like, oh, he, we did it. So therefore, Stark is the best thing ever. And I, I get that. But yeah. Dargo will come around. (laughs) He'll come around. We have two more episodes in the trilogy, so. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have a final scene with John and Aaron. Mm Mm-hmm. I love this scene. We're going to play it, and then we'll talk about it. It was real. 
but an imaginant. What was real, John? just like Aaron and John. Sorry, I'm just going to squee about them because we are finally getting to serious business for them and it's great. It's so good. And it's, I love her empathy there and just the quiet way the scene ends with her pulling his head against her shoulder and neck. And it's a mm-hmm. very, it's just a very physical gesture. And it's kind of like, so John and Scorpius earlier, they'd almost been in like a lover's embrace. Like that's how close they were. And that was the positioning of their bodies. And it's like here, this is like a cleansing thing. Mm-hmm. It's about comfort as much as anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just like cleans the palate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I love that she's trying to give John a reason. Do you know what I mean? Because she knows that killing people are as hard for him she knows that this is not something he was born to and not something that he enjoys I mean I don't think Aaron enjoys killing people either but you know she was trained to do it yeah so this is the other thing I got out of that conversation is how many of these thoughts are truly John's versus truly Scorpius's or mm. Harvey's is the regret that he feels his own regret about not killing or is it the regret that he feels because Harvey is making him want to save Scorpius, mm. you know, and that's where that, that line is becoming really fuzzy. And I think that's, what's finally really acknowledged here. You know, it's like, it wasn't a hallucination. I wasn't losing my mind before. I mean, he kind of is, but it wasn't all in his head, except mm-hmm. the way it's all in his head. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I took it as entirely Harvey. That was regretful that he had yeah. left. Scorpius to die so I don't know I I think it's just it's a nice scene to kind of coda their Mm -hmm. their um how in sync they were throughout the whole episode yeah you know she she knew when he was at his breaking point she took the rod from him so that you know they could do it he doesn't need to tell her how he feels because she knows knows. yep so that's the episode. And then we have a one last tag where the beryllium ingots turn out to be spiders. Ugh. Mechanical okay. spiders. It's kind of a, it's not really even a spoiler for the next episode. It's the teaser. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm still going to be forever, forever, forever bitter that they didn't get real money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Well, we will find out the conclusion or the middle part of 
what's going on with those spiders, ignits, beryllium things next episode. And on Wardrobe Watch, the main thing is Zan and her pirate outfit. She has an mm-hmm. eye patch and a hood, and she's in black and pants, and it's great. Everyone else is pretty much wearing what they usually wear, except Dargo mm-hmm. has his shirt off for a while when he's being tortured. Mm-hmm. And I think, actually, Rigel loses his coat when he is uh, flying through on the magic safety deposit boxes that are flying through the repository. Mm-hmm. Like Charlie in the Chocolate Factor elevator. <laughs> yeah. So next week we have Liars, Guns, and Money Part 2. With Friends Like These, I think is the subtitle. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what would you give this episode? I like it. I'd give it a five. Yeah, me too. I just had so much fun watching it again. Everything hung together really well. Mm-hmm. And-, and I think that like it's not even just your typical heist episode it's because you have all this emotion stuff going on you have the dargo the tension with dargo you have everybody trying to do their part while not being told the whole truth kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's really well put together if you would like to send us a voice memo or an email about what you thought of the episode or any of our episodes in season two please send it to us at farscape friday podcast at gmail.com we'll put it on the show we are going to do a season two wrap-up episode so if you want to send thoughts about season two those are welcome as well and we are farscape friday podcast on tumblr and Dreamwidth, and farscape friday on twitter all right we'll see you next week bye bye